I don't know if you've ever been in a riot before, but it's weird how they just kind of start and you don't really go into it thinking that you're going to join a band of people and just start destroying things or, you know, ruining someone's life, but it just kind of happens and it's weird. It's one of those things about humans that lend some credence to the idea that we are also just animals because like you just there's no logical reason for a riot to ever take place and yet you just you rile up a certain group of people and all of a sudden you have just a army of people carrying torches and pitchforks and then a lot of people end up dying or things get destroyed and you know in history there have been a lot of good reasons to riot but there have also been a lot of dumb reasons and we're going to look at some of those dumb reasons this week on our weird world our weird world welcome to our weird world i'm your host john henson and yeah we're looking at some strange riots this week. Uh, We're going to look at the Doctor's Riot, the Toronto Circus Riot, the Eel Riot, the Straw Hat Riot, and the Melbourne Dart Riot. Um, So five stories here. Let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into it. So to give you a little context for the first one here, the doctor's riot, um, you know, kind of the the advancement of the understanding of the human body is just one of those things that we don't like to talk about because we know that some less than wonderful things needed to happen in order for us to learn as much as we do. Um, You know, it's similar to how the human society as a whole advanced, especially if you believe in like the biblical creation story, which just sort of you know, completely glosses over the fact that there was probably a bunch of incest going on. Um, But these things had to happen in order for us to become the society that we are today. And so we have to, you know, talk about it. Um, When it comes to the medical world in the 1700s, medical professionals made a habit out of robbing the graves of poor people in order to dissect them and learn about the human body. It probably wasn't morally appropriate, but it had to be done. Um, You know, it, yeah, whatever. Uh, in the latter portion of the 1700s, New York City's population was almost 20% black, and most of them were slaves. And when the slaves died, they had to be buried somewhere, which usually ended up being mass graves in a cemetery reserved for poor people. One such cemetery, the Pauper Cemetery, was located near Columbia College, which was home to New York City's only medical school at the time. And during the winter, when bodies decomposed at a slower rate, the medical students and professors would go out and raid those cemeteries and exhume, or actually, they they actually called it resurrecting, which is kind of weird, um, re- resurrected those bodies for dissection and study. In 1788, the number of resurrections was alarmingly high, which angered the families of the deceased and horrified people who didn't understand this particular form of resurrection. Uh, yeah, I can imagine there are people out there who are just like, who are just like, they resurrected her, and then what's she gonna do? She alive somewhere? We gotta go find her. Oh, the medical school got her. Oh, 
she did, I don't know why that's that's probably kind of insensitive that voice I'm gonna leave it in anyway I don't care um <laughs> one day a, a group of freedmen caught the students and doctors in the middle of a grave robbery and uh on February 3rd 1789 that group petitioned the New York City Council to put a stop to the exhumations um but because black people really weren't allowed to have feelings back then or opinions or much of anything for that matter uh the petition was ignored and then things got worse in April when a group of children playing near the New York hospital stopped to watch John Hicks, a medical student, dissect a human arm. When Hicks noticed the children, he grabbed the arm and just started waving it at the kids. And then just to be an even bigger dick about it, he singled out one child and told him that the arm used to belong to his mother who had recently passed away. And that's like, all right, that's probably too far. You know, but whatever. Uh, The boy went home, probably in tears, and told his father what had happened. Uh, The father then went to the cemetery and dug up his wife's coffin just to, you know, make sure. And then when the body he expected to find wasn't in the coffin, he rounded up an angry mob and marched to the hospital. And at this point, the doctor's riot is on. Uh, The mob quickly broke into the hospital and found the dissecting room, which contained several corpses in various stages of decay and mutilation. Um, The mob then grabbed several medical students and dragged them to the street. Fortunately, New York City Mayor uh, James Duane broke up the crowd and escorted the students to the city jail for protection. Um, By then, the mob had grown to over 2,000 people and moved over to Broadway to hunt for Hicks, specifically and rightfully so. Um, the mob finally ended at the courthouse where they faced off against militia and cavalry, riders threw rocks while militia repelled them with their guns and swords. A few days later, like this, this went on for a few days until the rioting eventually stopped. Uh, at least three people on each side were killed and some estimates note as many as 20 people died during the riot. Um, nothing, nothing really ever changed. Uh, you know, it, it was still several years before, you know, medical testing, uh, you know, became more of a donation rather than a, a, a thievery, but you know, had to start somewhere. So next we go to, uh, Toronto where in the summer of 1855, the, the city was buzzing with the excitement over the arrival of the SB Howe's star troop menagerie and circus because Canada in the 1800s was a very boring place. Uh, Everyone drank to pass the time, and Toronto arguably had the most bars per capita in the entire country. Uh, The city alone had over 350 bars, and the population was only 40,000 people. So, I don't know, do that math real quick. Uh, You know, 350 divided by 40,000. 40,000 or 400,000? 40,000 people, yeah. So... (laughs) That's, I did that wrong. Hang on. I, I'm not good at math, but now I'm kind of committed to this. Um, 40,000 divided by 350. So there's basically one bar for every 114 people, um, which, you know, you probably don't need that many, but whatever. Um, especially because, you know, all 40,000 people were not of legal drinking age. Anyway. Uh, At the end of a long day of performing, several clowns walked into one of the bars and brothels in Toronto to enjoy their night off. However, the brothel that they picked was the hangout for the Hook and Ladder Firefighting Company. And if there's one group of people that firemen don't get along with less than police officers, it's clowns, I think, apparently, because... um, 
here's the thing back in those days firemen weren't paid with public funds like they like they are now for the most part uh firefighters worked for private companies who actually competed with other firefighting companies to put out fires faster uh hook and ladder had even actually recently let a building burn to the ground while they fought with another company as well as the police after they arrived to break it up just because hook and ladder claimed to get there first and then everyone just didn't do their job instead they just fought in the streets and let the building burn down um as the night wore on and people got progressively more drunk a single clown got a little too mouthy and then when that clown knocked one fireman fireman's hat off a huge brawl broke out and within minutes several firemen were injured while the rest scampered out of the brothel and into the night um so you know for at least for a little bit the clowns actually won the next day, though, as the circus put on another performance at the farmer's market, a large group of firemen, along with other supporters that they had recruited, gathered around the tent. Uh, the farmers who had set up their stands in the area were told to get out. Otherwise, you know, you're going to lose a lot of your produce and your income. Um, and then when police heard about the gathering mob, they sent a few officers down to break up the crowd. But the problem was that the chief of police was a member of the Orange Order, an Irish Protestant group that mainly focused on just pissing off Catholic people. And the Orange Order ruled the city of Toronto, and practically every fireman was a member of this order. So the chief of police wasn't about to you know, tell his brothers in this group that they had to disperse like he was going to be on their side no matter what um by the time the police actually arrived the mob was already throwing rocks at the tent the firemen charged at the carnies with axes flipped their wagons tore down the tents and set everything on fire uh the clowns from the night before at the brothel were found and just beaten senseless other carnies jumped into lake ontario for safety um and then because the police were just standing on the sidelines watching the Toronto mayor had to call in the local militia to break up the riot. Uh, and he was able to calm things down just long enough for the carnies to grab their things and get out of town. Um, only one person was really ever convicted in the rioting and the orange, uh, orange order went back to peacefully running the city. You know, if I guess only for a few months before they started fighting with the Catholics again. So yeah. So now we go over to Denmark uh, for the eel riot, which, uh, you know, during the latter half of the 1800s, the Dutch didn't really have much going on since they were one of the few European nations who weren't actually involved in a war with another country. Uh, so to pass the time, the Dutch invented, uh, something called paddling trekken, otherwise known as eel pulling. And this game consisted of fishermen suspending an eel on a rope above a canal, which is kind of cruel. And participants would float beneath it on their boats and attempt to pull the eel off the rope. And because it's as inhumane as it sounds, the game was quickly outlawed. But that didn't stop a group of Dutch fishermen on July 25th, 1886, when they all met on the Lindengracht to watch a rousing game of eel pulling. Uh, a fish seller tied an eel from a rope above the canal with the winning puller receiving six guilders, equal to a week's pay at the time. When police got word of what was happening, they showed up to put a stop to it. Uh, one officer walked into uh, a nearby house and over to a window where one end of the rope had been tied and cut it down with his pocket knife. Uh, that end of the rope hit a spectator in the head who was not pleased with the police interference and began assaulting every officer he could find with his umbrella. Within minutes, the people of Amsterdam were in a full-blown war with police over an eel and... Uh, like the angry mob was dislodging cobblestones from the streets and hurling them at police. And then in turn, the police were stabbing people with sabers. 
Um, by, by nightfall, uh, a passing rain shower put a pause on the fighting and everyone returned home. But the next morning, the mob regathered and stormed the police station. And rather than continuing to use their sabers, which clearly wasn't a great deterrent, the police then opened fire on the crowd and starting just mowing people down. At the end of the day, 26 rioters had been killed, 136 were wounded, and over 2,000 more people were arrested and sent to prison. Uh, the eel, which was actually still tied to the rope and squirming around in the canal, was taken and sold at an auction for 175 guilders. So, I don't know, man. I, like, don't piss off the Dutch, apparently. Next, we'll go back to New York um, for the Straw Hat Riot. And to give you a little context for this, um, you know how there's this fashion rule that says you don't wear white before Memorial Day or after Labor Day? Like, I don't know why that's a rule. I mean, it's just a color, but it's a, a thing. Um, however, in the early 1900s, there was another fashion rule that was just for men. After September 15th, uh, your summer straw hats needed to disappear or else. And the straw hat, also known as a Panama hat, was like this beige-colored hat made of straw with a dark-colored ribbon or bow around the bottom just above the bill. So, like, if, you, if you've if you ever seen, like, those black-and-white, um, you know, clips, mostly at, like, baseball games where all the men are wearing a variation of, like, the same light-colored hat, like, that's what those Panama hats were. And... In an era where almost every man wore a hat on a daily basis, it was expected that the Panama hats would be worn during the summer and then replaced by felt or silk hats for the winter. In larger cities, newspapers would actually run stories in September warning the men that the deadline to get rid of their Panama hats was approaching. Like, this was a big deal. And if you were caught wearing a a Panama hat uh, after September 15th, you were literally fashion-shamed for wearing the wrong hat. Like... Kids would even literally be encouraged to run up to you, knock your hat off, and stomp it, like, to the point where you couldn't even wear it anymore. Like, like people think, like, you think people are mean now, <laughs> like, on social media where, you know, we're shaming, oh, you got shamed, me. Like, people were getting assaulted for wearing the wrong hat in the early 1900s. Like, we forget, like, just how terrible of a place the world used to be and just how far we've come. Um, on September 13th, 1922, uh, two days before the deadline, a group of New York city teenagers in the, in a Mulberry bend, which is now Chinatown, uh, took to the streets and actually began stomping every Panama hat they could get their hands on. Uh, it began with a simple assault on factory workers who populated the area. And then it trans, uh, transferred down to the docks when dock workers resisted a massive fight broke out. Uh, the melee eventually moved to the Manhattan bridge and blocked traffic before being broken up by police. The next evening, the same group of teenagers, uh, or, you know, the, had recruited more teenagers and went out to destroy more Panama hats. Um, and like a, you know, like a scene out of any movie or a play involving like New York city, teenage gangsters, the mob literally moved through the streets, carrying baseball bats with nails driven through the top. Like you've seen in cartoons, they had chains, other random weapons. They were probably, you know, snapping to a beat, you know, combing their hair or whatever. I don't know. That may be like fifties and sixties. Um, any pedestrian that they came across who was wearing a straw hat was assaulted and beaten. And although the police were slow to stop the riots, everything eventually died down. Most of the teenagers uh, who were arrested chose to pay a fine for their assaults rather than spend time in jail. And ultimately, by the 1930s, the straw hats actually became less fashionable. And by the 1950s, they were almost entirely wiped out of the market. And now we just care about other dumb things. 
Lastly, uh, we'll talk about the Melbourne Dart Riot, and this actually happened pretty recently. Um, In January of 2015, Melbourne, Australia was hosting their annual Darts Invitational Challenge in which hundreds of dart players from across the globe competed in the most dangerous game available in bars across the world. For days, people threw darts at boards and tallied their scores in the sort of complicated way foreign countries tend to do things. I, 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 I can't figure out how you score darts. I have a hard time keeping track of cornhole scoring, if we're being honest. Anyway, uh, but eventually we got, we, you know, the, the tournament got to the finals. Um, and the finals pitted Michael, Mighty Mike Van Gerwen and against Simon the Wizard Whitlock. And the match, as is typically the case with dart matches, was incredibly boring. The crowd, who had treated themselves to all of the alcohol they could possibly consume, were got so bored that they decided to build a pyramid out of the plastic chairs in the stadium. Uh, and someone thought that was a dumb idea and called the police. And when the police showed up, chaos broke out in the crowd. Uh, one drunk Australian also known just as an Australian grabbed his plastic chair and hurled it further into the crowd. People who were dressed in all sorts of costumes, including, you know, Robin from Batman and Robin, Oompa Loompas, English Knights, you know, whatever the, you know, whatever you can think of. Uh, They also began throwing their chairs and full tables around the crowd. Uh, This went on for about 20 minutes while this dart match was going on. Um, Eventually, 40 people were ejected from the stadium and police were actually able to restore order. And so, you know. It's kind of a riot, but, you know, compared to some of the other ones, not so much. Um, If you do care, uh, Mighty Mike did beat the Wizard in the final 9-8. So that's it. Some crazy riots throughout history. Um... I kind of started a riot once. Uh, I've, I've told this story in one of my books. Um, basically, it was around, I think, like first or second grade. And to show you kind of how white trash I was growing up, um, I used to have uh, bologna sandwiches for lunch at school every day. And normally, you know, the bologna sandwich would have mustard ketchup on it. Like, don't judge me. All right. Like, I can feel your judgment already. Um but yeah, it was, it was just, you know, two pieces of white bread, mustard and ketchup, you know, spread on the bread and, uh, you know, and then a couple pieces of bologna. And sometimes, though, uh, after a night out, you know, we would go to the local Applebee's. I'm not even kidding. And, you know, we would come back with some leftovers and specifically um, we would come over with a come back with a little cup of their buffalo wing sauce and their buffalo wing sauce. I think they've changed the recipe a little bit because I don't, it's not as good as it used to be, but I thought it was one of the best sauces in the world. And so, you know, rather than the mustard and ketchup, my mom would put the Buffalo sauce on the bologna sandwiches and stop judging me. Um, and would also just, you know, send the, what was left over in the cup for me to, you know, dip my chips in or, or whatever I wanted to do. And so, uh, I was eating lunch one day and my best friend at the time, Jeffrey, came by my table and accidentally, you know, knocked my cup of buffalo sauce onto the floor and spilled it. Total accident. Like, he didn't mean to do it. And, like, he, 
I was apoplectic, just beside myself angry with this kid. And for some reason, everyone else in the class was totally on my side for it. I don't know why, but they were. And then, so we went out for recess uh, after lunch. I look up, you know, I, I had gone off to do something by myself. Maybe I was using the bathroom or something. And when I came back, all of the kids had kind of cornered Jeffrey against the fence and were just circled around him chanting. For some reason, they were chanting, rock, rock, rock. I don't know why. It didn't make any sense. And Jeffrey was just like in the fetal position on the ground. And God, I felt like a God. And I was like, I didn't even do anything. I didn't, t- I didn't tell anyone to do anything for me. And these kids all just gathered around him and just like made him cry and scared him to death. And it was, it was pretty great. And I'm not going to lie to you guys, like starting a riot directly or indirectly feels really good. So I totally get, you know, all of these people and, and why they did these things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's see what else we learned from this episode other than the fact that I might be a sociopath. What did we learn? Number one, doctors used to have to, uh, go grave robbing in order to find bodies to learn about them to you know better understand the human body and uh what else needed to be learned in medical school number two uh the dutch had come up with really stupid games they're just the weird people and they decided to tie a rope around an eel and then see who could pull it off and for money i don't know man that's weird uh and number three darts are really boring And, of course, leave it to Australia to try to make it a huge event that goes horribly wrong. Next week on Our Weird World, if you thought these riots were pretty stupid, you are going to think next week's episode is even dumber. I was going to say stupider, but that's not a word. It would be even more stupid, and I just didn't want to sound like a nerd, but now I did. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about a few really stupid stuntmen and the things that they did that went extremely wrong. So get ready for that one. That'll be fun. Thank you all for listening. Again, as always, tell all your friends. Tell, tell, tell them all. Tell You know what? I know I said don't tell your parents or your grandparents in the very first episode. Go ahead and do that now. Uh you know, because why not? And uh, always keep it weird.